Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are a God who never fails. God, you've never failed and you're not going to start now. And God, we pray that we might find our hope, our refuge and our foundation in you and you alone. God, that you might stir our hearts to, to look to you in a way that we never have before, to trust you in a way we never have before, to surrender in a way we never have before. God, I thank you for this family. I thank you that you unite us by your spirit and you help us to see your goodness and your glory. Holy Spirit, I pray that you might move in this place this morning. You might move in Yarram this morning. You might move in Locksport this morning. God, there might be a fresh outpouring of your spirit in our own hearts and our own lives. As we turn to you and we look to you, God, I pray that these moments wouldn't be just another message, ticking the box, doing our Sunday thing, but God, this would be an encounter with the living God. So God, I pray that you might, you might soften our heart just in these few seconds. Allow us to hear your voice. God, you are so good to us. And we humbly come before you this morning as your children, looking to our Father for direction, for everything we need, for provision. And God, we, are, we know that you are a good God and you will supply every one of our needs. So God, we thank you for this morning and we pray that you might speak to us and challenge us and change us, encourage us pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, please grab a seat. Good morning. It's great to have you with us this morning. Good morning, Locksport, and good morning, Yaram. It's great to have you with us this morning. I've seen a photo of Locksport already. Uh, people gathered there, and I'm trusting that Yaram is the same. Pastor Jackie's down in Yaram this morning, and we've got, I think, um, a few people there, and they're going for a prayer walk after, as, as Steve mentioned. So if you're able to, head down there this afternoon. That's a, a great thing to do. If you're not able to, why don't you set some time aside at one o'clock today and pray where you are uh, for the town of Yarram and just for the work of, of the ministry that uh, we're doing down there. Uh, and of course, you can include Locksport and Sale and all, all the region because uh, our heart is for, for all people to come to, to know Jesus and to hear the gospel. And that's what we're trying to do. Well, we are in uh, week three, the last week of a little series called Spirit and Truth. And if you've missed week one and week two, I really encourage you to go back and, and listen to those because they really do set up what we're going to talk about this morning. And um, if you just grab this morning's message in isolation, it might sort of go, it might not make uh, as much sense as it could in the context of, of the whole thing. Uh, and we've been talking about this idea of spirit and truth as a bit of a theme for 2023. Uh, the two tracks of a, of a railway are running together towards the same goal, towards Jesus, towards worshipping him, and, and one track not being more important than the other, that we need both uh, the truth of God's word uh, and the, the work or the encounter of the Holy Spirit. The truth and the Spirit working together in unity. One not more important than the other. They are always in unity. They always work in agreement for God's glory 
and for our deepest satisfaction. We've been looking at this story in John chapter 4 of the Samaritan woman at the well. And the, the story really uh, highlights that what our deepest need is, is worship, is to encounter the living God, is to find our worth in Him and through Him. And we do that through spirit and truth. And so we looked last week at this idea a little bit more deeply of truth. And we looked at it from two angles, the idea of humility and reality. Humility being that we, when we come to God's Word, we can come with our own idea of what we want it to say. Uh, I want it to say this because that's what I've always been told and so I'm going to go to God's Word and prove that I've always been right. Uh, and if you're anything like me, I, I love when finding out that I've always right about something. I never find it, like finding out that I'm wrong about something. Uh, but humility tells us we need to come to God and His Word with a real sense of humility that maybe I'm wrong on this, or maybe, I'm, maybe God wants to highlight something in my own life. He wants to show me something. He wants to teach me something. He wants to encourage me in something. And then we need to come with reality, with the mask off, with just as we are. And the woman comes to Jesus in her reality. She doesn't try to hide. She maybe tries to change the conversation because it gets a little uncomfortable, but she really is just an open book. Like Jesus sees her as she is the good and the bad, everything in between, and he loves her as she is. You know, our Father loves us more than we could ever know, and he knows more about us than we could ever know. He knows you better than you know yourself, and he loves you more than you could ever know. And I think that's just an amazing truth that we need to hold on to. And God's truth is to help us, to change us, to propel us in the right direction. Um, it's for our... Um, it's for our benefits, to build us up, to correct us. God's Word and His Spirit are the two things that God has left for us, the two primary um, tools or resources He has left for us so that we might follow the way He wants us to follow. His Word and His Spirit. Both left for us for our benefit and for His glory, and they always are in agreement. So I want to read a couple of verses in John chapter 4 just to refresh your memories of what the, the story is and the little um, conversation that we're, we're honing in on. Uh, and like I said, later in the year we're going to start travelling through the book of John and so we'll come back to this story uh, in its more broader context, which I think will be um, really helpful. But we're going to look at just these verses in John chapter 4, verses 21 to 24. It says this, Jesus told her, believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you'll worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, and we worship what we do know, because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. Lord God, I thank you for your word this morning and I thank you it is able to teach us and challenge us and uh, help us see more of Jesus. And I pray through the work of your spirit in agreement with your word this morning that we might experience that, that we might know your presence uh, and know your love and your grace in our life. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I grew up um, in a Baptist church from when I was born. My, if, if you don't know anything about me, my um, dad has been a, a Baptist minister for as long as I can remember. Um, and he was the 
minister, the senior pastor here for 23 years, 22 years, um, and I've just grown up in, in Baptist churches and Baptist gatherings, and I remember back when I was really little, before we moved to Sale, um, Mornington Baptist Church, we spent a bit of time there. We spent a lot of our time at Baronia Baptist Church, um, and they were very different to maybe what we experience here in, in a lot of ways. Um, just, I was younger, so I, I suppose it was just, was different. But I, I've always had, as a, as a young child, just the same experience of what church and what Christians are like. And I remember it wasn't until I was maybe a teenager, uh, maybe 13 or 14, that I had my first real uh, experience with Christians outside the Baptist denomination. Now, if you've never had an experience outside the Baptist denomination, there is a, I mean, you should. There's, there's great, um, great colour in God's um, kingdom. There's great diversity in God's kingdom. Uh, and it's, it's beautiful to see. And I remember the first time I went to, like, a real Pentecostal gathering. And I don't know if you've been to something like this before and... And as a, as a teenager who's never experienced this, I walked into this room and, and for some reason we were a little late or maybe they'd started, you know, Pentecostals, they're, they're praying before, you know, anywho. So we walk in and, and everyone's got their hands up and I'm thinking, what is, like, I've just never seen that before. And I walked in, I thought, what is going on in this place? And they're all singing, like everyone is singing. There's no one just standing around just watching. Everyone's standing lifting their hands, full voice, singing along, engaged in the worship. And then the preacher gets up and they're like shouting back at him. Like, and not, and not mean things, but like encouraging things. Like, that's good, yes. I mean, sometimes it gets a bit repetitive. It's like, that's it, that's it, that's it, that's it, that's it. And sometimes if they get really excited, the I mean, it always starts at the front row, but they stand, they start clapping, and I mean, now, if you are from a Pentecostal church, I, hats off to you, I think it's fantastic, and it's obviously not in our Baptist culture, we are a little bit more reserved, uh, a little bit more shy, I don't know, or we just think, uh, it's not for us. I'm not here to say that's here nor there, I just think that sometimes when we think of the move of the Holy Spirit, when we think of the work of the Holy Spirit, we can just go, that's what it looks like, <laughs> that's what it must be. It's a whole lot of, like, weirdos. We love our Pentecostal brothers and sisters, and, um, but sometimes it can be a little bit strange, especially if you're not used to it. We're not that strange. We're not that strange? Okay, thank you. Uh, happy clappers. You can, they are happy. Um, I don't know if you've been paying attention to uh, what's been happening in Asbury University over the past 10 days or so. Uh, Asbury University is a, a university in, this, in America, uh, and there's been a bit of a, and, and, and you can read a whole lot of, and I, I started reading a whole lot of articles and people are completely encouraged by it and some people are completely against it. Uh, and you can make up your own mind. But basically what's happened is 10 days ago on the 8th of February, they have uh, twice a week or three times a week, they have a normal chapel service as part of their university. It's a Christian university. And so they normally meet for, I think it's about an hour Someone, they sing a couple of songs, they, uh, someone preaches for about 20 minutes, and then they go back to their 
university and do their classes and, and, and whatnot. And, and then on this one particular day, 10 days ago on the 8th of February, they got up and I, and I watched the, the message of the guy who, who preached on the 8th of February and it was, I mean, it wasn't a phenomenal message. It was just a, it was good. It wasn't bad, don't get me wrong, but it was just a, a regular sort of message um, preaching through Romans. And, and what began from that is just uh, some sort of move of the Holy Spirit in, in as much as that they have not stopped meeting since the 8th of February, 24-7 for over 10 days now. There's, this chapel has been gathering together hundreds and thousands of people worshipping, praying, repenting, um, encountering God, and it's been a real um, move of the Holy Spirit in ways. And, and when you, if you've watched any footage from it, you can clearly see that it's not, it's not um, maybe a, hyped up like maybe some of our preconceived ideas of what uh, a move of God or move of the Spirit is. Uh, it is very stripped back and raw and um, it's a beautiful thing to see. One person said this, I read one quote about um, what's been happening there, a, a student at the university, and she said, there's such a sense of unity, like we're coming together, we're praying for each other, we're worshipping together, we're reconcil reconciling, we're serving each other in a way I've never seen before. And someone else said this of it, students have been much more open to talking about their faith in a way they've never seen before, not just debating certain denominational issues, but returning to a more God-focused conversation. What does it mean to be in the presence of God? What does it mean to be in the presence? And I don't think there is one particular answer to that question. I think sometimes we, like I said, we can put in a, we can have this box or this idea that because that's what I've seen before, because that's what I've heard before, that must be what a move of God looks like. That must be an encounter with, with the Holy Spirit, whatever, however you want to phrase it, encountering the presence of God must look like this. You know, at the first week we looked at this, I highlighted that there's this resource, I think there's still a few out there. Um, it's available if you scan a QR code on the Connect card in front of you as well in a PDF version. Um, but it, I love this because it shows us that everyone encounters God in different ways. Some people can encounter God just by opening the Word and just the, the words jump off the page. Or some people are praying and they can just pray for hours. Some people can go for a walk in nature. Some people, music. All these different things. There's different ways in which God has wired us. Uh, and there's different ways we can encounter the presence of God. But the true presence of God cannot be manufactured either. It's not something we can just go, well, we want it, so let's use this and this and this and this, and then we'll get it. The, the scripture talks about the spirit blows where it wants, not where we want. But I think that that's not to say that we can just sit and go, well, if God's going to move, then I don't have to do anything. I can just sit here and it'll just happen because that's what you just said, Brad. I think there's that sense that we need to be leaning in or we need to be aware of, God, what are you doing? I think the woman at the well is a good example of that, that she could have easily just ignored Jesus and gone, oh, I don't want anything to do with you. I'm, I'm out of here. But she saw the invitation and she just, she leant into that conversation and she had an encounter with God. And what we've been looking at over the last couple of weeks is this idea that we want the truth of God's word. We want to be so grounded in, and our foundation to be God's word. But we don't want just a whole lot of head knowledge. We want to actually experience 
God as well. God's desire is beyond us just knowing a whole lot of stuff, but it's really about knowing a risen king. His desire is for us to have intimacy and relationship. And we can easily get caught up in information because in in one sense, it's a lot easier. It's a lot easier to debate intellectual ideas without having any sort of heart investment in it. We can talk about our different doctrines and beliefs about certain things, this and that. And they're good conversations to have, don't get me wrong. But sometimes they can be just, they can be removed from who we are. They don't apply directly to our lives. And it makes us look good and sound good, but without the presence of God, it's, it's nothing. In Acts 1, verse 6 to 8, um, when they are waiting for the Holy Spirit, um, it says this, this is the, the time of Pentecost, it says, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so the purpose of the Holy Spirit to move in our lives is not just that we would feel good or have a, like a warm, fuzzy feeling or whatever you want to describe, but really that we would go and we'd be witnesses and that people would find out about Jesus. And we're going to look at that a little bit more in John, John um, 14 and 16 when Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit and its role. But it's not for any other purpose but for gospel purposes. The, the Holy Spirit is the great missionary and he lives in each of us to reach others. The Holy Spirit is given so that all people might come to know Jesus and so that the gospel is clearly understood and received. That the hidden things of God, the complex things are made easy to understand and they are known to all. The other thing, this is a, I mean, as I was preparing this message, you know, there's that verse, I think it's in Romans, I didn't write it down, Romans 12 maybe, it talks about the Holy Spirit like um, bringing about groans and utterances and there's like this sense that God wants to say something and I hope that I've written it down and put it plainly enough so you can understand it, but it's, it's, a, it's just a, it's a sense that God wants to do something amongst us. And not necessarily this morning, but through, throughout this year and just as us as a community of allowing him to move allowing us to be open to what it is that he wants to say uh, and go beyond just knowing a whole lot of stuff. And I think when we, um, when we look at Scripture and we look at the way God has moved in different times, there has been this constant um, pattern of people hearing from God and then obeying God. And that's when they experience the presence of God. That's when they see God come through in miraculous ways, in significant ways, however you want to phrase it. That's when they see this was God. And I want to show you some of those, just as an example, that the Holy Spirit calls for action. That, I mean, there are times, a few select times, where the Holy Spirit might uh, encounter someone who's running away or doing the thing that they shouldn't be doing. Um, I think of Jonah in the belly, you know, doing the opposite thing to what God wants and he still has this encounter with God. It's not a nice one, by the way. Um, Saul on the road to uh, Damascus, thank you, Bible scholars, um, having a blinding uh, encounter with, with God. 
But some other examples are in Exodus 14, where Moses stretched out his hand and they saw the, the waters part, and they crossed the Red Sea. Do you ever wonder what would have happened if Moses didn't stretch out his hand, if he didn't do the thing that God had called him to do? He just thought, well, if God's going to save us, he's going to save us. And, I mean, depending on your theology of the sovereignty of God, he, that may have happened in, in a different way. But there was something significant about Moses, his, his action. He did something with what he heard God speak to him about. Or Moses, again, hitting the rock, um, and then water coming from the rock. Or uh, Joshua leading the people, marching around Jericho. I mean, this is an incredible story to me, that leading a group of... I mean, it's one thing for Moses to hit a, hit a rock. It's like, that's not too hard, is it? I can, give me a stick, give me a rock, I'll be right. But to convince you, or more than you, to, all right, this week, cancel work, cancel all your plans, we're marching around sail every day. And on the seventh day, we're going to be getting our trumpets and we're going to be shouting. We're going to look like lunatics. I guarantee I would not get one person signed up for that. You'd be all like, no, thank you. you. You do it and see what happens and then we'll come back and laugh at you next week. I mean, that's an incredible story, isn't it? What would happen if Joshua and his men just didn't march and didn't shout? I mean, there's a lot of what-ifs. Jesus' healings. Even when Jesus healed people, there was times where he, he touches the eyes that are healed in Matthew 20. In Mark 8, he spat on the guy's eyes, like made mud and... Anyway, it's gross. Uh, in Luke 5, when there's a paralytic and their friends lower him through the roof, there's like that act of like faith that God's going to do something here. We're not just going to bring him to the outside and hope that the power just magically washes over. The woman touching, I think it's in John 8, touching the hem of the garment and instantly she's healed. Peter healing the, the crippled beggar in Acts 3. He like grabs his, the hand and helps him up. It's an act of faith. It's not just a prayer. Paul and Silas singing in jail and they're miraculously freed. All these things, as you read through them, and there's countless more, seem so crazy to do. They don't make sense in our human minds. And I think when we think about obeying the Spirit and putting our faith into action, a lot of the times we are put off by the illogical um, sense of, of the action that we're, we feel like we should do. Uh, whether that's, I don't know if you've ever had that in, in when we've been singing on a Sunday morning maybe, where you feel like, oh, I should kneel or I should, I really need to lift both my hands. I, I, I feel like I need to start dancing, but no one else is, so I'm just going to, I'm not. We're Baptists. And we don't want anyone walking to the back of the room and thinking, this is strange, I'm out of here. When these people obeyed the Holy Spirit, they saw this spiritual breakthrough. It didn't make sense, and I'm sure um, it didn't make sense to them, but they had this faith and they obeyed what they knew they were to do. And to live in the Spirit, to live following the Spirit and truth, means knowing and doing. I mean, this is the two tracks of that railway, that we know something of God, that we understand something of God, that the truth is important, but with that truth, we act it out, we obey, regardless of what we might feel is the right thing, or feel is the, not the right thing, but feel is comfortable for us to do, that we live it out, not neglecting one for the other, hearing and obeying. It's easy to hear. 
It's sort of easy to say, but it takes faith and courage to obey. We're going to worship in a minute, and we're going to sing a couple of songs, but I want to just give you quickly four, and, and there's more than this, but four evidences, I don't know if that's the right word, of the Holy Spirit's presence. Um, four things that might happen. There's more than this, as I said, but just for us to be thinking about. So the first one is this, repentance. Um, and this is not a nice word, is it? I mean, it's a nice word if someone else is repenting, but when it's talking about us, it's not a nice idea. The woman at the well, her life was revealed and exposed before Jesus. And as a result of that encounter with God and, and through the Spirit of God, I mean, the Holy Spirit hadn't yet been given, so, but we can sort of attribute it to, to the, the presence of God. She leaves her water jars. She repents of her old way of living. It's, it's significant and signifying that the way I have been living, I'm, I'm leaving that behind and I'm going a different direction. You know, truth, the idea, one, one track shows us uh, the way to live. And, and the more you understand truth, the more you study God's word and understand all the, the holiness of God, the more you'll understand that it can't be done. And that the only way to live for God is through repentance. That I am not living up to the standard that I know I should. It brings us to the end of ourselves and the beginning of God's love. In John 16, verse 8 to 11, it says this about the Holy Spirit. When He comes, the Holy Spirit, He will prove the world to be wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. This is part of the Holy Spirit's role. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, where you can no longer see me. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. So the Holy Spirit helps us to see the truth, and the truth of God's Word, the truth of what Jesus has said, and that you can't measure up. You will constantly and consistently fail to meet the standard that he sets. And so, you need to believe in Jesus. Jesus can save. Jesus can transform. Jesus can heal. You are in the wrong about sin, the Holy Spirit says to us, because you do not believe in Jesus. Sin can't be conquered by you. You, through your diligent study of God's Word, cannot get enough knowledge and understanding just so that you'll be able to live the, the perfect way Jesus wants you to. The purpose of the law in, um, in Romans and Corinthians, it talks about, is to bring us to an awareness of uh, that we don't measure up, that we fall short. Sin can't be conquered by you, but only by Jesus, and so that the Holy Spirit wants us to turn to Him and turn away from sin, to repent. Another thing that the Holy Spirit does, as long as repentance is, is um, what have I said, awakening. And this may be like a, a little bit of maybe what's happening in Asbury. Um, you could call it, you might call it this. Some people wouldn't. But the verse I want to highlight for you is in this in John 15. 26 to 27, it says, When the Helper comes, when the Holy Spirit comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, notice that phrase, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, Jesus says. And you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So the Holy Spirit's move in our life is to reveal Jesus, both to us 
and through us. And so part of the evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in your life is that you would see and understand more of Jesus. That he would become greater in your mind. He would become greater in your vision. He would become more glorious. And that people might, through seeing and encountering you, might see more of Jesus than they otherwise would. John 4, that story that we've been looking at, this happens for the woman at the well. She has this encounter with Jesus, and then as the more the encounter goes on, the more she is seeing, is this the Messiah? Is this who I think it is? She repents, she goes back to her town, and what does she do? She tells everyone what she's seen and heard. And as a result, the whole town, it says, it's a crazy story, the whole town comes to see and meet this Jesus and to repent themselves. The third thing the Holy Spirit will do is it will bring unity. Ephesians 4, verse 1 to 6 says this, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. The work of the Spirit is to bring unity. When our sole focus is on one side of this track of truth and God's Word, without the work of the Spirit, it doesn't bring unity. It brings the opposite. It brings division in churches. It brings division in denominations. But when the work of the Spirit, the evidence of the Spirit is unity. Not uniformity, but unity. That together we can have this conversation. Together we can love each other. We are full of grace towards each other. We are humbly coming together. The Spirit brings about unity. It brings about a renewed focus on Jesus and the gift of salvation by grace through faith. There is a time and space for robust discussion, but not at the expense of love and unity in the body. And it's the unity of the Spirit that draws people in. You know, Jesus says to his disciples, it's, it's um, through your love for each other that, that all men, all people will see that you are my, really my disciples. The love and the unity that you foster in your own relationships is going to be evidence that even when you disagree about things, that you still can live together as brothers and sisters. That this is still, like Steve was saying before, this is a family. This is not a business. It's a family. And so that we can have disagreements, but we still love and we're still in unity. And the fourth one, and this is maybe the most obvious one that we think of is this idea of fruit and gifts that the evidence of the spirit is working through us through the fruits of the spirit you can read about them we don't have time to go into them in galatians 5 and gifts of the spirit in 1 corinthians notice when you read through the gifts of the spirit especially in 1 corinthians 12 to 14 that there's a chapter in the middle there 1 corinthians 13 and what's that all about love yeah Again, that the, the work of the Spirit is to promote unity and love. Love is the goal. Love without, uh, like with truth, love is the goal. And why? 
Because God is love. God is love. And so my encouragement and my challenge this morning is that with what you know, what you know about God's Word, what you know the Spirit speaking to your heart even right now about, that you would do something with that. I think for most Christians, most of the time, there is something that we know we should be doing or should stop doing. And that's often the Holy Spirit at work in us. And He's waiting for us just to take that step of faith, step of obedience. And maybe for you this morning, it's an act of repentance in some way, shape or form. Towards God, perhaps towards someone else. Maybe it's an act of surrender. You've been trying to live certain things in your own way. You're unwilling to let go of certain areas of your life. Certain people, certain actions, certain behaviors, certain attitudes, certain amount of money, whatever it is, you're unwilling and have been maybe for a long time to, to give it up to surrender it before God because you're scared of what he might say where you're living he's scared of what you're saying he might he might say to you you're scared to move in your own heart this goes the same in Locksport and Yarram to you can sit you can stand you can you can do whatever you you need to do and I'll be down the front if you feel like you want me to pray for you about a particular thing I'm I'm more than happy to do that and, um, and if you're in Locksport or Yarram um, there'll be people around I'm sure you can turn to someone and ask them to pray for you they'd love to pray with you Holy Spirit we pray that you might help us to take what we know and put it into action that we'd be obedient disciples God I pray that you might for some of us, help us to step outside of our comfort zone. And God, for some of us, that you might help us to get over our pride and to come before you humbly, come before each other humbly. Oh God, I thank you that your truth drives us towards your love and your spirit drives us towards your love too. And God, that you've given us these two gifts for our benefit and your glory and ultimately so more people would come and see you and know you and so God we don't want to get in the way of that but Holy Spirit we want to partner with you we want to follow you wherever you take us so God we pray that you might use these next few moments to lead us into your grace and your truth and your love. We thank you that you are in this place, you are in our hearts, you never leave us, you don't forsake us. God, you're not here just because we're trying to get you to come here, but you're always here. Help us to be aware that you are here, aware of what you're speaking to us about.
and fill us with the faith that we need to obey. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.